All right, this is episode number four of the Bearded Marketers podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Corey. Tonight we're going to be talking about branded keywords and paid search campaigns. Are they worth it or aren't they? SEO reputation. Um, we're also going to be talking about keeping tabs on competitors. And we're going to kind of touch on trust in our websites and where we need to potentially look at that in some different areas. Content grazing and how does that affect our metrics and really how we assess our websites. And really lastly, uh, mobile emails and things that we need to keep in mind uh, and what the uh, user behaviors might be changing in that realm as well. But first, before we get into the nitty gritty, Rob, you know the question. What are you drinking tonight? I'm boring. Moscow Mule, like every night. All right. I'm doing Johnny Walker Black again. But next week, I promise people different (laughs) drinks for both of us. We'll switch it up. Maybe some absinthe? We could do that. The show might get a little crazy, though. Yeah. We might be talking to a third person that's not really (laughs) in the room, but I'm sure they'll have a lot to say. So let's go ahead and get started. You talked about branded keywords in PPC. Yeah. So Harvard Business Review put an article out, I think it was uh, early last week. Headline is, do paid search ads work? Subheadline, eBay doesn't think so. Well, for any competitors that are listening, paid search does not work. You should not do that at all. Stay away. All the affiliate marketers out there, get out of the game. Yeah. It's not worth it. Just quit. It's over. Just quit. Google is going out of business. Paid search ads don't work. I think I did the read that. And Yahoo News, I believe, is where I read that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Anyway. So, well, in a similar vein, I mean, that's sort of, you need to take this with a grain of salt because eBay did get in a hissy fit when Google came out with Google Checkout and sort of Mm -hmm. has a little vendetta against Google. Right. I remember for a while they pulled all their ads in Mm -hmm. protest. And they went, I'm sorry. And then they, you know put them back on because they need that ads um so i guess from that headline you could make the conclusion that they're saying all of our paid search ads aren't worth it right Mm -hmm. well when you really get down into it they really mean just their branded keywords so their analysis of their data Mm -hmm. has shown them that bidding on the term ebay or i'm sure like ebay.com variations of that Mm -hmm. and paying for those paid search clicks which are probably hella expensive because they're competitive. <laughs> right. Ha- are not are not paying the bills ah. for those clicks. We're, they're not getting the revenue from those ad costs. For people that are selling like horse masks on eBay, right. not worth it. Right. Okay. So, you know, how do we interpret that from them? Mm-hmm. And I think there's actually some interesting information we can get from their conclusion. I don't think that that applies to anyone. In fact, in most cases, mm-hmm. and I mean, I would say all cases that I've ever experienced... Bidding on branded keywords is a very easy way to get a high ROI on paid search ads. Right. It's a way to pick up a lot of traffic you wouldn't normally be picking up, and I recommend it for most companies. Right. And kind of maybe a uh, safety measure as well to make sure that your competitors aren't maybe encroaching into your space as well. Yeah, absolutely. Ensuring you have one and two position or, you know, depending on your keyword uh, the location might be changing a bit, but right. So aside from just making it ROI, you could you know just look at it in sort in terms of like branding. You know, right. I want to show is a up business for cost my to yeah, us. This is the cost of doing business right. online. Um, good point. But I you know I think in the in the eBay why it didn't work for them. I think there's a few reasons for that, and one being I think with a massive company with such a unique name. Mm-hmm. It they may not need to buy those paid right. search ads. I mean, someone searching for eBay or eBay.com is probably not going to get distracted mm-hmm. by some of their competitors. Right. 
Because especially that, given the rules that Google has and their, right. what their ads. Right. I, I, yeah. I mean, like you were saying, you can't you can't have eBay in the ad itself. Mm-hmm. So you're not likely to have competitors, you know, trick users away right. away from your website. Mm-hmm. And I think that brand's been around for so long, has such a unique name. There's not going to be confusion there. People are going to, you know, go straight to the eBay natural search listing. Right. But I think for most other companies, I don't think that that's the case. Mm-hmm. I think you need to to bid on branded keywords. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, I think you have to, you know, in eBay's case, they have a pretty unique user experience. Uh, and we've all been there before. So I think that even if you do dupe people on a PPC ad, the because, you know, I know they have competitors like UBID and some other companies out there, but eBay has kind of built a unique experience uh, or somewhat unique to where even if you get people in on your process, I would imagine that the bounce rates are probably pretty high for those ads because people are coming in expecting something or, you know, they're apt to find out at some process or some point in that visit that this isn't what I needed. Um, And if you're talking about branded keywords, you're also less likely to be able to hook them with something else. So, you know, there's one thing to be said for if I'm searching for a 50 inch Samsung TV, eBay, then, you know, I might can show them a UBID page where I'm showing them products. But if someone's just searching for eBay, your likelihood of being able to hook them on something else is pretty much diminished at that point because it's just a a branded keyword at that point. Yeah. Not a a very targeted visit. And and also the nature of the site, you know, like it's, it's a user, you know, I have an account on eBay, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's already set up. People know what they're doing when they're, when they're searching for eBay. It's not, I don't think it, I don't think that the results that eBay's having here, you know, translate to a lot of other companies. And mm-hmm. there's actually some information here that Google published, I think it was last year, where they have some data that sort of point, like talks about this specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so to quote from them, on average, 50% of the ad clicks that occurred with a top rank organic result are incremental. So... Those are clicks you wouldn't be picking up otherwise. Right. So I think, and, you know, obviously that's on average. So for most people, bidding on those branded keywords are going to pick you up traffic that you would not normally be getting. Right. And I think that's the takeaway. I don't want people to read that ad and go, oh, no, we're spending. Those ads can be pretty expensive, branded oh, keywords. Because, um, <clears throat> I, I, I mean, I know from experience that companies that I work with are willing to pay a lot on competitor keywords because they just see that as it's not just a marketing cost, but kind of bravado comes into play. Like I want to go after my competitors and I'm willing to pay a lot to put this in perspective. Like sometimes we're running PPC campaigns that have really low margins, but the conversion rate and what we're paying for per lead I feel like on average, those rules are sometimes relaxed for competitors because it's almost like this 
like competitive aspect of these companies comes into play. It's like, oh, well, it's okay. Like we're stealing business from them, and that like right. that makes that lead worth more for some reason. Well, it's the same customer, right? But we stole it from X company, so ah, got him. Right, so it and just the, means it's it's sweeter. Yeah, the and it, fruit is sweeter. In the, in the back of their minds, they may just be thinking lifetime value will make right. it back eventually. Right, right. I mean, and that very well may be the case sure. in something like a recurring billing product mm-hmm. of some kind. They could very easily eat that cost for a few months and then make it up in the long term. Fingers crossed. <laughs> right. But I think you brought up a good point, though, is, is looking at some of these case studies that we see and really does that mean that it applies to us? And really kind of looking at, you know, in this instance, eBay has a very unique and massive brand. So for them, it probably doesn't make sense right. to bid on on branded keywords because, again, it's not a very targeted visit. And they have a pretty unique offering as well that people have been exposed to because of their long, you know, how long they've been around and established on the web. So, you know, take these things kind of with a grain of salt because they make for great headlines. eBay found PPC not worth it. But when you really dig into the nitty gritty, it might be a little bit different case for us. And also think about what is the motivation for eBay publishing this information? Ah, True. Mm -hmm. I mean, are they trying to get, you know, their competitors like Ubid to stop <laughs> buying their own like we branded keyword traffic so eBay can buy it? Like, <laughs> it's this massive... Yeah, you do not want to use yeah. this at all. <laughs> right. Um, okay, I think we can move on to sort of the reputation of SEO experts. And, uh, and this is... Air quotes around that? Right, experts. air quotes around that. I mean, I don't... I think for a long time, I mean, SEO has been around for just so long and mm-hmm. it's it's changed in the way that it's done in so many ways, even from a year or two ago. But in the office, I think this was actually a few days ago, I overheard someone refer to SEOs and the sort of industry as having a scumbag quality to it. Mm-hmm. So we want to stay away from SEOs because they're tricksters, scamsters, you know, they're, they're, they're consultants that are just going to take your money and not really do anything. Gotcha. Okay. Which in this day and age with internet marketing, and I mean, this is an internet marketing office. These people should Alleged. allegedly <laughs> know what they're talking about. <laughs> I, it's, it's surprising to me that there's still that hesitation or, you know, feeling towards SEOs when massive corporations are found have around that. teams mm-hmm. uh, you know that do seo right in one way or another mm-hmm. now that being said of course there are still scumbag seos yeah but there's scumbags in every, in every industry sure right i think maybe the the problem with why seo gets such a bad rep is because it's one of those consulting things that you can charge people for and not really do anything that or there's this um I think a couple things come into play. One, I, I don't think a lot of people are prepared for how long tail or long term SEO efforts are. So they think they they relate it in terms similar to PPC. And well, sh- shit, we did SEO for two months. How long does this take before right. we double our traffic? So I think that comes into play, which plagues good SEO people quite a bit. Um, but also, I mean quite a few years ago at this point, there was a a pretty blueprinted, easy way to kind of dupe the system. So that Mm -hmm. lent itself to having a bunch of people that, you know, with a little bit of programming 
expenditures. They could have, uh, you know, link builders built out there and ping bots and all these types of things that could actually garner you some real support or real changes. Your domain would be burned shortly thereafter. But, you know, I feel like we've moved past it. And and honestly, at, at an internet marketing firm, I would probably argue that people that still have that belief haven't really taken the time to really understand what is involved in SEO, where the industry is at at this point, um, and really relying on just old knowledge at that at that point. I mean, sure, there's still people that are running websites with a bunch of arrows all over it with blinking banners talking about getting you ranked number one in Google. Sure, Th- those people will probably never go away because there's always suckers, just like Every month, a new multi-level marketing scam will come out, getting people on oh, similar stuff. Like it's not the acai berry now; it's some other Amazon fruit. Yeah, you know the the thing hasn't really changed. There's still a bunch of suckers out there, um, but like you said, I mean SEO is a well vetted. I mean there is serious efforts, and it's a very competitive market for the good people out there. And it's something that. You know, I work at a very large e-commerce company and we have whole teams dedicated to that because it's it's a serious operation and something that, you know, when there's a Penguin Panda update, things like that, that's a massive change for our company. And we have to change total strategies around that 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 are, are really tangible. It's not, you know, we have a team that just shoots Nerf guns all day and hopefully stuff works like there's a lot of thought effort and a lot of measurement that goes into these things and it's a there's a lot of science into it at this point it's not you know guys just in their basement you know with a ukrainian developer like manipulating (laughs) google at this point i mean we've moved far beyond that yeah i think you touched on a couple of things that are are probably the leading cause for this i think one is sort of like you mentioned the guys who are out there advertising seo services as rank number one in Google for whatever. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter the term. I mean, obviously, sure. that's not possible. Right. But when you have people in the space advertising things like that, this sort of expectation becomes that that is possible. Mm-hmm. And so now legit people can't compete. Right. So you you sort of have gotten rid of all of the legitimate people, and now you're just dealing with the guys who aren't going to be able to deliver on what well, they're Well, especially at the price point that they advertise as well. Right. You know, like $250 a month, I'll get you number one in real estate. And it's just like, well, yeah. maybe for two days, and then my do- domain is blacklisted, and I can't do anything with this. Um, but like I said, I mean, I think... SEO is a serious effort that that has to be taken on at this point. And like I said, I mean, there's a lot of science into it now. And they're always changing. It's it's a dynamic marketplace. And that's, I feel like the really good ones, you have to go and search for them. So if you really want to take SEO seriously, you have to go seek them out and really do a lot of research to kind of find those firms. Because, you know, like you said, I mean, they're, they're kind of in this weird spot of we know what we're doing, but we're also having to compete with all these jokers that are in mm-hmm. the space as well. Um, so it's almost like going through the alleys, knocking on the doors with some secret uh, motions to try to find the good uh, firms that are out there that can really help uh, your business in a in an area that is ex- it's coming extre- exceedingly difficult as well. And we're kind of running short on time, but one thing I want to touch on that that's making SEO even more difficult too is, you know, a couple months ago, Google rolled out the 
HTTPS protocol on their search terms. So now a lot of the SEO information is also being hidden as well or just not available. So that's caused the people that are really good in SEO to even, that's kind of weeded even more people out because from a scientific standpoint and looking and assessing where can we make some gains and how people are reacting on our site, it's uh, caused the experts to kind of rise to the surface even more. So it's definitely moved beyond just, you know, give me a couple hundred dollars and I'll get you ranked number one and two. You know, this is a a difficult marketplace to be successful in and something that most people need to spend the extra money on because it's also a minefield to navigate. If you don't do it right, the consequences can be severe. And I don't know if most people know, but the customer service at Google sometimes is uh, a phone that I think they keep in a basement that (laughs) no one goes in. So uh, it's definitely something to be carefully vetted out. Now, I know you mentioned HTTPS on Google search result pages, mm-hmm. and I think you've talked about this before. What what exactly was the situation there? Because I know I've had mine manually switch over to HTTPS whenever right. I use Google for a while now. So has this been rolled out to more people? or It has, and it's also not consistent. So <clears throat> as per Google, what they've talked about is if you are signed in to a Google account and you're using any browser they will switch you over to HTTPS and any information about your organic search when you enter into a domain will now be not available to any analytics program. That's including Google Analytics itself. So if you're searching for, let's say, wallpaper, you come in to Home Depot. Let's use that example because Rob loves him. Um <laughs> it will actually show up in in even Google Analytics as not available. Um, So I won't get any information on that. Now, that's become a problem because Google services are used by a lot of people, especially given that their penetration into not only Android, but a lot of people on Apple devices use Google services as well. Mm -hmm. But what I've also found in testing is certain browsers will also automatically default to HTTPS. Even if you just type in... So if you're on the latest build of Firefox and you just type in google.com and it automatically redirects you to the website, it doesn't auto-append, it will take you to HTTPS Google, even though you're not signed in. So more and more, and, and people that pay attention to metrics will see this in their data. As time has gone on, the availability to organic search information on a keyword level has decreased. Now, from an AdWords standpoint, they still carry all that information as usual, even if you're signed in. So that's not really an issue. But organic, for some businesses, is a huge amount of traffic. And now that information is not as readily available anymore. So again, it's becoming a, a, a marketplace talking about SEO that it pays to have an expert and uh, not only from gleaning the nuggets that they have experience wise, but ensuring that any efforts you do in SEO don't put your domain at risk from any penalties um, that can be severe. Uh, and I know you have some experience with that as well, but <laughs> far too much experience. That's another episode of tears and anguish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Um, I know we wanted to talk about keeping tabs on competitors and, ways you can do that um, that are beyond just sort of looking at their website every once in a while. Right. So I was reading this article 
think it was on Conversion XL, which is an interesting blog. They have some good articles every once in a while. And I thought they, they had this article on spying on your competitors, which a lot of people do. You know, I, I work with companies that, you know, pay people to just browse websites and and they might have it in their Chrome or whatever. Every time they open up their browser, it opens up competitor pages to see what they're doing. But the interesting angle that I thought this article took was not just what does their website look like or what are their PPC ads, but what they were stressing a lot in this article was looking at what is the heartbeat of people that are um, potential customers of the website or current ones. So they talked in particular about monitoring review sites for your competitors and looking at what are struggle points for people. You know, do we see a lot of reviews of people that think they are baited and switched in the process? If you're selling, you know, a product or a service, you know, do people feel like your products are cheap and they fall apart? Um, do they feel like your business's services are terrible and your people are not professional? Um, you know, in monitoring these types of inputs to where you can gain a competitive advantage, um, which I thought was a kind of a different approach to take in how we craft really our value propositions and our marketing, um, efforts to take advantage of that because, you know, we can tell from a research standpoint that a lot of people do a lot, quite a bit of research before they make a decision, whether that's for their business, whether it's for purchasing a product or whatnot. So the chances that other people have read these reviews, uh, because I rely on reviews when I buy stuff, I really don't ever do them. Um, but I find reviews that are that are helpful to me, especially when I'm making uh, certain purchases. So the likelihood that people might be exposed to these inputs uh, and these voices of people is becoming stronger and stronger. So being able to play off that or maybe even later on in the process, maybe you're the first company that they're researching, but they come across those other companies and those other reviews later on. But you've already kind of put the bug in their ear about we do things differently here, whether that's from a, a quality standpoint, whether that's from, you know, pick any number of things. So I thought that, that was good. They also gave some tips on ways to kind of measure those things, some real practical tips. So they gave some good review aggregator sites um, that you can check, um, but also using tools like Hootsuite or TweetDeck to monitor kind of what the social conversations are for companies and maybe looking for particular hashtags like sucks or <laughs> world's worst company. Worst right. Um, but I, I thought that they yeah. really took a good angle on not just look, because I feel like from a competitive standpoint, we always check what people are offering or what is their design? What does their checkout look like? Things like that. But we really don't take advantage of the fact that people now have a voice online in many aspects with these review sites and the ability for other people to find these reviews and conversations and how we might craft a different site experience or, or marketing campaign 
to key off of that, I thought was a different way to really approach that. Yeah, I think it's just an expansion of online reputation management, which mm-hmm. has sort of exploded in the last couple of years with social networking and the, and the ability to monitor all of the, all of those things. So right. it's taking that one step further and you know, whatever you use for online reputation management, including a few of your top competitors to keep an eye on what's going on with them. Right. Like you said, and, and you know, there's a, a few ways you can use that sort of input. Um, you know, like you can create new products or change your value proposition, like you were mm-hmm. saying, or even just um, really surface level things that tweak your ads to appeal to something that your competitors are doing poorly, mm-hmm. tweak your landing pages to appeal again to the same sort of thing. So it's not necessarily about overhauling everything or changing your brand to match, you know, your competitors pitfalls, but you can also just make it seem that way right? and, and get those, those higher conversions from those people who are aware of the pitfalls and, mm-hmm. and, and everything that your competitors have. Right. And, you know, I know you were mentioning they have a few aggregator websites. I think a lot of that, though, is going to depend on the industry that you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, things like Yelp, you know, will work for restaurant type companies. And, right. you know, there are travel websites where you can read reviews. But even a lot of e-commerce type sites will have um, like reviews directly on their pages. Right. For products. Great. So, you know, you may not be able to monitor that kind of stuff with, like you were saying, like a Hootsuite or, you know, a, a tweet deck of any kind like that. But, you know, physically going to these websites and, and looking at their popular products and reading the actual reviews that are there, mm-hmm. some of those reviews might slip through the cracks. Right. And you'll you'll get some real insight into what people are actually saying about their products. Maybe mm-hmm. they're poorly built and, and, you know, that's your angle. Right. So that's an interesting way of looking at it. I think we haven't quite gotten there yet in terms of... Mm-hmm. You know, like you were saying, online reputation management is there. It's it's taking that next step. Yeah, to... and like I said, I, I feel like people monitoring competitors is is an age old thing. I mean, sure. that's been happening since people probably invented the wheel, and there were people selling I don't know fried turkey legs at the caveman <laughs> market uh, and seeing what other people were offering, but. You know, what? how do we really use that in a more unique way? And I thought the article did a good job of not just what do our competitors do in the way of, like I said, what's their site experience or, you know, what's their free trial offer or what is their offer even of their products, but what are people saying about uh, their X item about that competitor and how can we leverage that to our benefit because now we can assume that people are just you know as marketers and online marketers we kind of feel like people well and some are are really dumb on the internet but people are getting smarter and smarter and you know i might be able to google a tad bit better than other people but the population's catching up and they're getting savvier so now we're at the point where we can assume that people are going to be doing their own research and they might be exposed to some of these things because we, you know, as yeah. a society, we we like the social reinforcement that reviews and other comments can make. Um, and so how do we play that into our benefit? And one point in particular, which is actually a segue into our, our next point, they said is even if you come up with great ways to differentiate yourself from your competitor, if you are not credible, it, it really doesn't matter. And so what they were talking about there is, 
you know, kind of insinuating if your site is not really trustworthy or credible, even if you are able to garner what you should have as a value proposition to kind of help bring people over to your side, so to say, uh, or to convince those concerned visitors, if it's not credible message, then then it doesn't really matter. And and I thought one thing that they point out is is really kind of priorities. And first, kind of tackling what is our site's credibility? So, you know, there's a couple different ways to look at that. And, you know, we really focus on a lot as marketers and what's our value proposition or, you know, what is the 13 ways to make your website convert better. But a lot of times we ignore the simple things. And and I know we've touched on this in the past too. Like what's the design you know, what is the presentation, not necessarily the slides in the presentation and the best way to format the presentation, but what's the full scope of it? What's the experience like? What is, um, you know, do, do I stand out? Is there personality to this or is this just some other cookie cutter website that I will eventually not remember anymore when I leave than any other site I've been to today? Um, and they also pointed out some other interesting things in in this um, article on credibility. And one is personalization, which I feel like is something that some people have a, a diversion to. Uh, and they talked about like having simple things like staff bios and pictures of your office um, and things of that nature. I mean, I think... Some people are really hesitant to show pictures of themselves in offices because, you know, when it comes to people, you know, privacy or yeah, maybe we'll put, I, I don't look that good. We'll put everything on Facebook, but right. <laughs> not on the website where right. I'm selling things. <laughs> that's that's uh, the come line on, Rob, is, is come drawn. On. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, the office also presents some, you know, because maybe you don't have an exciting office. Maybe you're used to watching blog or looking at blogs where you're, you know, reading about the newest Google office that opens up, and you're like, well, shit, my <laughs> office looks like crap compared to theirs. I mean, we only have a vending machine, for God's <laughs> sakes. Um, it's madness. Right. But that just means you probably need to hire a uh, a uh, tricky-dicky, like, photographer. I mean, you can, you can pretty things up pretty easily with, you know, having some props or, or just again acquiring good photographer will kind of help point you in that right direction but as a visitor to your site again that makes it more believable like you're yeah. willing to really put yourself more out on the line here there's some images here that don't look like you just went and google searched business meeting and pulled off the the free stock photo that you could find and things like that there's there's some actual work and personalization to this website that makes it stand out a bit more. Yeah, I, I think you maybe are, it, it sort of points to a larger issue, which is just happening online. And, and that is that you used to be able to get away with that because you were the only online store that sold X. Right. Right. Well, now there's thousands. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've sort of talked about this before on the show. And the way to differentiate yourself, it's not about who can buy the most ads anymore, even right. anymore at all. It, it's who has the better brand and personality and service and products and because and who's can, like memorable right because i can use social networks to find out what other people are buying mm-hmm. and it, it sort of reinforces if you have a good experience a brandable name with 
personalized people that I can get connected to. I feel connected to your website. Right. It's not like I'm buying from that stock photo lady that I see on every site. <laughs> with the headset. Right? right, with the headset. People use a different image. The blonde with the headset right. is on every with site. The ponytail, so of course. I immediately see that and I go, what is this? Yeah. Come on. This is a rip. Come I know on. I'm not talking to her. <laughs> yeah. I know that's not happening. <laughs> but people still do that stuff. And they still do the, like you were saying, the stock image office as well. Oh, yeah. Which just, you know, if there's no one in the picture and it looks like, a really professional photo. Yeah, you can you it can just tell. They fake. have like a certain look. Yeah, it just I doesn't mean, feel right. If anyone's looking for a good business opportunity, non-stock looking stock photos, that would be something to get into. We'll start a new website. Yeah. I'll take 10% of whatever you make for that idea. Domain. But that would be a good one. Not stock looking. Yes. I stock photos. We'll get rid of that. <laughs> right. Look we different. Get, we don't get it sued. Right. You'd eventually have to take it down after six months because then everyone would be using those. But each each photo only gets sold five times. Ah, that's, ooh, that's, that's a good genius. idea. Some no one makes any money. <laughs> <laughs> photographers don't make money we're it's more of a charity we're here to make the web a better place <laughs> free stock photos too <laughs> right um but you know going back to that that credibility i mean I, again i think that that is something that we don't really concentrate enough on you know in, in the age of you know you were talking about rob that we're not just the only ones that are selling x i think it goes a level beyond that and that we're also getting to a point, too, where we're not the only ones with a legitimate looking website where now with the ad, you know, with the thing, CMSs like WordPress and things like that, it's pretty easy now to get a somewhat decent looking site as well. So I think that's kind of changed the game is, you know, not only am I the only guy on the block, but. I'm no longer the guy on the block with the house that has painted shutters. Like everything yeah. looks somewhat similar enough to where we're getting now to the details where it really matters on buttoning things up to to make that final difference because it's not too hard to get a, a somewhat decent looking site. So even some aspects of design are getting eroded as differentiating points. It's more what goes into like the messaging. What does your copy sound like? Is it really superlative and real excessive or sound legalese? Or is there a personality behind that? Or can I tell that someone that really cares about their products sat down and wrote this? Or or talk to people that were in my shoes to understand what my concerns were and sculpted the site in a way where it logically walks through all the concerns or the uh, points of interest for me. And, and that's where the, the personalization yeah. and the credibility and those types of things like really come into play. I know we've talked about this in terms of content before, like staying away from the boilerplate corporate feel mm -hmm. content that no one wants to read that no. stuff. I, and I don't know if this is a generational thing or just me as my personality, if, you know, I'm, I'm attracted to this style of writing, but I like the really personal sort of not serious style of writing that mm -hmm. I see on some sites. It's it's rare, but mm -hmm. to me it's refreshing. It's like these the marketing team like I guess just cares more. Like we're writing like to you. It's like right. how you would speak to someone. Mm -hmm. Um and that's that sets you apart completely from from everyone else who has the boilerplate description of their product or description of their company we have been in business since right. xyz and you know, we have x employees like yeah and i, I would agree and, and that's not to say that you ignore things like 
spelling and grammar no, and things absolutely. like that. Because that, that does start to wear on me if I'm reading a site, even though I use really poor grammar. Um, in my own writing, like that is things that I start to notice and, and I maybe do start to question. Right. Well, to me, it's an immediate disqualifier. <laughs> right. I, I see a misspelled word and I go, what? Uh, Spell check is in everything now. <laughs> but like you said, there's... I enjoy reading those types of things. And, you know, I think a lot of people generalize our generation younger um, as people that don't like to read things and do a lot of scanning, which is probably true. But in most instances, that's because I'm not being engaged enough. And that doesn't mean that I'm looking for flashy banners or things like that. But give me something that's really interesting to read, not just... Crap where, like you said, it's just regurgitated from the legal right. team. And it's just like every other site that I, that I are, I'm reading on. It's something that's went through 15 different committees. It's been boiled down to be as vague as possible, so there's no risk. But it, no care or anything really different than I read anywhere else ever comes to the surface at that point. And that's why I start scanning that stuff because it's like, all right, well, I need to kind of find the meat and potatoes of this because, you know, this is what they've kind of distilled the information down. But if you tell me a story or put some real personal effort into it, I, I do pay attention to that stuff. Captivate me. Like, take the time to actually do that and care enough. And I think that's where your credibility starts to, to shine through. And well, you need to make sure you're on point with the other things like design and things like that. But Yeah, yeah. And well I think it expands into other aspects of your site too. You know, for example, you know, when I'm signing up for a newsletter of some kind, you know, they always have the standard copy, your information is is safe with us. Mm-hmm. Which means nothing and it's the same verbiage that everyone uses. Well, and also I kind of assume that. Like right. why should I not? Like are you raising some anxiety in me like well, I assume that giving you this information, why should I be worried about this? Right, and it really doesn't say anything either. Right. What does secure even mean? Mm-hmm. You, you, cur- you securely sell it to everyone? I, you know, <laughs> right. I don't know. But I think if you if you sort of personalize that message, if you said mm-hmm. something that like I could understand, you know, mm-hmm. like we will never sell your info to anyone. We hate spam ever. just as much as you do. Right, something like, like that. something yeah. that is more personal and like actually explains what's going on and is different mm-hmm. from what everyone else is writing is something I'm actually going to notice. Mm-hmm. Or like with a guarantee, everyone always says, "hundred percent guarantee, your money back if you're not satisfied." Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's rewrite that and make it seem like it's actually going to happen. <laughs> like <laughs> right. you actually have a guarantee. Like mm-hmm. describe the sort of process to me, like. Yeah. You know, do I do I just just send us an email, and we'll re- we'll refund your money if you're not happy. Right. You know, like if you said a simple that simple satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, like that yeah. would. I mean, that okay, that makes sense to me. Now mm-hmm. I get it. It's not just a oh great. What's well, gonna... and, and especially with items like that, they're so used. I'm I'm skeptical. So it's almost like the added benefit of ad- of introducing something into process like a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee has been watered down to a point. But when you explain the process potentially or why you're different in that area again one thing credibility uniqueness um i think that that's where you open up some opportunities uh to really selling the value that your company can offer people so uh, you know absolutely um and we wanted to sort of contact or talk about content grazing and we sort of started talking about content in general right 
Um, I, did you have did you have a study or something on that? I can't remember. I did. So as I, I believe it was Blue Rocket did a study, and what they were taught, what they were kind of trying to quantify is there's been this phenomenon of people that. And we actually hinted at this at the last podcast, but they call it content grazing. And essentially what that means to them is people that are coming on to a website with no intent to really perform a, a meaningful, well, I guess I shouldn't say meaningful, but to provide a conversion as most people would identify, whether that's a lead, a sale, or things like that. And what they really talked about was what is driving a lot of this, and they leave this out, but I would add it in, is one, the accessibility to to easily find websites and information. Like search engines are getting, you know, always getting better and better. That's That's what their goal is. That's what their shareholders demand. Uh, it's in their financial best interest too. So, you know, one, I would say content grazing is getting better and better because it's so easy for me to find stuff. I mean, even obscure things like, um, I don't know, the favorite <laughs> outfit that Blackbeard had on his pirate ship. You know, like you can find that stuff super easy at this point. Right. Um, but also what they note is with the amount of individuals now using full smartphone type devices and tablets our content digestion habits are changing you know i sit on the couch and might be working on something or just reading blogs while i'm consuming media and it's kind of like you know i'm the ability to multitask and maybe do these brainless operations well there's still an analytics person and still a testing person there's still a marketing team on these sites that are seeing me come on and interact and they're freaking out because, you know, the conversion rates are slipping or, you know, we, sh what happened? We should have sold to that person. They hit six pages on our website or whatever it might've been. Um, and I, and I think what this, this article, it was on marketing pilgrim, by the way, um, pointed out well was just kind of reassessing how, where digesting information might be changing and, and just taking that into consideration. And even further, you know, I thought they, they gave some good examples of when this happens. You know, I might come home from work like I do and just absorb into the couch for a while to just debrief from the day and kind of just take it easy. Well, I might be watching TV and catching up on something and on my tablet, kind of checking up on some blogs or, you know, just kind of, as a commercial comes on, I go and check something out or I'm watching a movie and I go on IMDb to check out some actors or I Google it and end up on your site on some article that you mentioned them in and looking at people a little bit differently and not necessarily thinking that every visitor that comes onto our site is a loss a lost potential, I guess, because right. our habits are changing. Right. And I know, we, yeah, we, you're right. I think we did talk about, I think it was the last one we sort of talked about, you know, because mobile phones, the internet on them has become so mm -hmm. fast and mobile phones have become so easy to use in terms of browsing the internet. You're right. You get a lot of that sort of, I just want to check this out really quick. You know, I have no intention of buying whatever it is I'm researching. You know, I just want to know how much is that car? How much does that go for? Right. I just want to check it out. Yeah. Or, 
oh, that was a cool watch I just saw in the commercial. Like, I wonder where they sell that or mm-hmm. I, I don't know, some feature about it. But you have no intention of purchasing it. You're just checking it out. Right. So that's one, I think, aspect of content grazing it, as you're sort of speaking to. I think another one, though, is because things are so easy to research and um, and check out online, the ability to sort of plan out your purchases or really, you know, spend weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really need this thing, but I'm going to spend the next three weeks like building a Google Doc. Right. <laughs> you know, like throw it up checking, in a wish list. Right. Or... Checking out every possible <laughs> scenario I could do on this right. and, and all the price points and, and read all the reviews for everything yeah. and spend weeks like checking something out only to then go, I don't need that. Yeah. Information overload. Right. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I, and that's, I think that's another aspect of content grazing. Yeah. Um, just because information's so easy, we'll consume a bunch of it and then go, I really don't need that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or how often, I mean, are you, I mean, people using social networks at, you know, unprecedented rates, you know, it's, it's what everyone's doing, spending all their time on social networks. Right. Well, how often do you see something? Oh, well, what is that? And then you Google mm-hmm. it or, oh, so-and-so got this. I want to get that. And then you, you know, go research it or... You know, I mean, that's how content grazing comes about. You just want to know a little bit more about something. Yeah. And there's probably also, I mean, again, like the availability of information is so great on the internet. I mean, I sometimes just like learning things as well. And obviously, as I have grown up, the internet has become my Encyclopedia Britannica you know, Microsoft and Carta. And Carta CD. Yeah. Well, back in the day, they used to apparently have Encyclopedia Salesman. I, that probably Right, was they went door to year. door. Right, right. How do you lug that thing around? <laughs> I, don't I don't know, know how that works. Man, please buy this so I don't have to carry this around. Um, you know, but that this is now my medium for learning. And, you know, going back to our SEO example in the past, if your company's doing a great job at SEO, it just no might so happen you rank really well for terms that I'm interested in learning, but I have no intent to buy. You know, your SEO job, your SEO team is doing an awesome job and it's capturing me. But depending on how I'm arriving there, what my habits are, maybe even things like time of day and devices, we can kind of know that, well, maybe this traffic isn't worth as much. Maybe we see that, you know, iPads from, you know, relative to their time uh, zone from seven to nine is just shit traffic. They're just coming in, they're reading a, a page or two, and it doesn't convert at all. So if we're running any tests or we're looking at any ROI reports on our marketing campaigns, we shouldn't even really count them. These are people well, that come on our site, their page views, but they're not the same. And they're right. not ones that we should necessarily base a decision on. Or even really factor them into the equation. Or a different kind of decision. on You know, right. maybe those are people who are, you know, they just got into the office and they'd rather spend some time, like I was saying, researching that purchase they're going to make mm-hmm. in a few weeks. And so that is a valuable visitor in terms of they will make a purchase eventually, but it's right. not right then. Right. Maybe their experience should be different. Right. Um, you know, in terms of content grazing, sites like content aggregators, news sites like reddit.coms mm-hmm. of the world, which I spend way too much time on. Those visitors days of my life <laughs> right are essentially useless and mm-hmm. and can cost a lot of money in terms sure. of bandwidth and taking your site There's down. There's actual cost to them, right? Um 904270 
9603, what content are you grazing on this week? Right. Just Give let us, us know. Give us juicy ones. Voicemail. Text us. I'll tell you what up. we've been creeping on the most. Reddit slash r slash cringe or cringe pics. <laughs> it will make you feel so much better about yourself. It's really what the internet's about. Well, true. Especially like, <laughs> well, Facebook is either getting you creep on or... I'm laughing at people to make myself feel better. Or in my instance, there's a third tier in trolling people to make yourself feel better. In particular, politics, because that's, that's an easy that's one. an easy one. But uh, so, yeah, call us at 904-270-9603. Uh, what do you what do you think about content grazing? Is it still something that should be equally weighted? How does that change? As marketers, we assess our analytics or the segments that we might create. Does it influence how you look at tests um, or even how you change your or website uh, to match those patterns? Maybe looking at devices, time of day, things like that. So, yeah, I think we actually ran long on a few of these topics. So I think did. that's a good closing point for the night. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, 904-270-9603. Not, it doesn't just have to be about content grazing. Hit right. us up about anything. We're desperate. Please text or call me. I want voicemail. <laughs> All right. Well, if we haven't scared you off by now, this has uh, been episode number four, The Bearded Marketers. Uh, again, next week we promise some new drinks um, and probably maybe a five-star uh, five review out of the uh, what we're drinking and what we might recommend. Okay. I'm Rob. I'm Corey, and this has been the Bearded Marketers, and until next week, take care.